Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. As we continue in Holy Week, today is Matthew 27, another lengthy chapter in Scripture. It's okay to break it up. It's okay to do a couple of devotions today. It's okay to do that any day, but especially during Holy Week with a season like this, to take this extra time to focus on God's Word can be a wonderful blessing in our families. I'm going to read the text uh, from Matthew 27. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death, and they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate the governor. Then, when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, is it, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed directed me. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave them no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him, and took the reed, and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, and put his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. And then they sat down and kept watch over him there. 
and over his head they put this charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli. Lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among them whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea, named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that impostor said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. This is the word of the Lord. Again, with the length of a text like this today, and to keep the video, uh, the podcast here somewhat short for you. I can't cover all of this. Great stuff here. Questions coming up from yourself or from your children, take them to your pastor. I guarantee he would love to talk to you about God's word and all the more so about the events right around the crucifixion of Jesus, which is really right at the center of our faith as Christ's death on the cross forgives our sins. So I'm going to try and hit the highlights here for you. Um, and see where we get from there. We're going to start right at the beginning. The idea that Pilate is in the text. For many years, centuries, uh, atheists and non-Christians made fun of Christians, tried to tear down our faith with this idea that Pilate 
wasn't mentioned anywhere in Roman records, that he's just some made-up guy in the scriptures. But in the 1960s, archaeologists found something that they called the Pilate Stone. Uh, It was dug up, and it reads, and it has Pontius Pilate's name on it. It's an inscription that he gave this amphitheater to a Roman emperor named Tiberius. So it's just a neat thing to have this piece of history that shares that Pilate really was a real person. Uh, The events of the New Testament uh, can be attested to. We actually can see the pieces of evidence pointing to the historicity of God's word. This is a field called apologetics, how we use these things to defend our faith. If you're not familiar with apologetics, it's fun stuff, one of my favorite fields of, of theology, and it's useful, especially for our children. Um, you can start dabbling in it with little kids, but especially as they start getting older, the middle school, high school, those confirmation age kids as well. Great great material for them to be learning. It's not necessarily a witnessing and evangelism tool, but it is defense. That's what the word apology in Latin means, is defense. It is a defense of our faith, that we would be able to withstand the attacks that the devil and the sinful world are going to throw at us. Because without a doubt, they're trying to destroy our faith. So apologetics helps strengthen that. Now, as we look at the next section of Judas hanging himself, really interesting. I don't think we cover this and give this one enough uh, thought. The Greek word where it says changed his mind in our ESB text, the Greek word there can be translated as repented or regretted. Judas regrets. He repents of his sin. He even says that, I have sinned. He is confessing. Question for our children could be, where should Judas have taken his confession? Where should he have gone? But, I mean, really, when we think about this, we would answer that question today probably by saying, take it to your pastor. Take it to your religious leader, the one who can speak God's forgiveness to you clearly. So maybe the question we can ask our children then is, instead of where should he have gone, because he went to the religious leader, what should the leader, what should the chief priests and the elders have responded? When Judas said, I have sinned, what should their response have been to him? Your sins are forgiven. But that's not what they said. Instead, they told him, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And so Judas did the only thing that a sinner can do. He died. A really sad story, a really sad account here. Now, a lot of fulfillment language in Matthew, that's one of his major themes, is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that Old Testament prophecy. So this one here in the section about the potter's field is from both Jeremiah 19, 11, also Zechariah 11, verses 12 and 13. And the next section is Jesus is before Pilate. Why, another question for our kids, why did Jesus not defend himself? He could have. Why not? And it's the same reason he didn't defend himself in the garden at the time of the betrayal. It's the same reason he didn't call down angels to to fight for him. He knew he had to do this. He willingly did this. He lays down his own life in order to save us. As we look at their the next section, the crowd choosing Barabbas, I mean, really this is this is demonic. I don't know how else to put it trying to picture how the crowd may have been celebrating and chanting for the death of God himself. Nothing short of demonic. I mean, I can't picture them just saying, oh, let him be crucified. No, this is, this is pure 
evil. This is the height of our sin as as wicked rebels against the Lord. And I'm including myself in that. Our sin pouring out against Jesus, demanding his death. This is a terrible picture um, that we are we are receiving here from, from Matthew. Now, uh, we see in the next section that fabulous phrase, as Pilate says, he's innocent of this man's blood. The people answered, his blood be on us and our children. Ironic. It's one of the greatest ironies in all of Scripture, as the blood of the atonement, the blood that makes us at one with God again, that would be sprinkled upon the people in the Old Testament for forgiveness. Now Jesus is that atonement for us, and his blood is going to be shared with us, poured out on us even as we think of the Lord's Supper. And so for the people who are killing him to say his blood be on us and on our children, wow, that's that's really deep. They couldn't have known how deep that statement was. And we can only hope and pray that indeed they do receive that forgiveness um, and that we get to meet them someday in paradise. Many of the people in this group may have well been the people Peter preaches to as we think of Pentecost in that first sermon in Acts chapter 2. Scourging in verse 26 is a form of Roman punishment where they would take a whip and they would just whip a man's back. Uh, they were famous for this being an extreme torture because they would actually put sharp objects at the end of the, the whip to actually cause more infliction of damage, um, ripping of skin, just a terrible punishment. The Passion of the Christ covers this really well. That's going to be up to you to determine what point you want to watch that with a child. Um, it's rated R for a reason, but this is what Jesus did for us. So it's tough. I've seen kids in maybe fifth or sixth grade watch it. It's it's a tough one, but it's worth at some point sitting through as a family together and watching it. But pre-screen that one before you show it to your children. All right. Um, as we get into the mockery, they are really, this is a large group, maybe about 600 guys. So it's not a small group that's taunting him and mocking him here, but they, they dress him up like a king. They make fun of him. They harm him. They spit on him. They beat him. And then they take it all off, put him back in his clothes to go take him to the cross. As he's severely beaten, he can't even carry the cross all the way up the, the to Mount, well, the to Golgotha, the place of a skull. So they end up enlisting Simon of Cyrene to help out. Um, he would not drink the wine that they offered him because of Matthew 26, 29, his promise that he wouldn't drink it until he was with us in paradise. He's going to, we're going to see that mockery as they, they taunt him on the cross saying, save yourself. He could have, but as we covered before already, he doesn't because this is what this is what he's promised. This is what he's come for. He's come here to forgive us. And if he comes down off of the cross, our forgiveness is not one. He is the sacrifice. This is necessary to happen for us. The death of Jesus brings up several interesting talking points. The idea of darkness over all the land isn't referring to a cloudy day or a, a stormy moment. Think of the plague of darkness from the book of Exodus that made it so dark you literally could feel it. You couldn't see a thing, but you could feel the darkness. Think of a darkness like that. 
as you think of this one. Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. Great phrase. Jesus is not only calling out that he feels forsaken on the cross by God because he's carrying our sin. It's also the Old Testament hymn from the book of Psalms. That was their hymnal in the Old Testament. It's it's Psalm number 22 as we know it. It's the first line. It's Jesus is calling the people gathered that day to think of the words of that hymn that they likely had memorized. And that psalm incredibly points to him and everything that happens in Holy Week. So give that psalm a read if you didn't get a chance to do so a couple of days ago as we covered it here on the podcast. You almost get a sense that verse 49, they actually are legitimately curious. They want to see Elijah come and save Jesus. What a sight that would be. I mean, he left the earth in a chariot of fire. So how cool would that be to see him come down and rescue this man off the cross? That might have been a legitimate thought. The temple curtain being torn in two is one of the most tremendous events in the history of the church. God's presence had been promised to always be with us, but it was located very specifically in the tabernacle or the temple, and it was separated from us by the curtain. So while God was with us, we would have died in his presence because of our sin. And so the curtain was a barrier that safeguarded us from God's holiness. To enter his holiness, we would have perished. But now, because of the cross of Christ and his death on the cross, this is like this is the first thing that we hear in Matthew's gospel after the death of Jesus in verse 50. So he dies in 50, and now in 51, that curtain temple that safeguarded us, that temple curtain that safeguarded us has been ripped in two from top to bottom, from God to man. We don't need the safeguard anymore. Our sins are forgiven. The sins of every single human being ever have been forgiven by Jesus. We are clothed in Christ. And so we can be in the presence of a holy God and live. Incredible, incredible picture of Scripture and one that we don't give enough time to. So unfortunately, can't give any more than that minute to it now. Earthquake. Tombs are opened. Um just all these things happen. So we can ask our children, why did the centurion and and the other soldiers make that confession and say, truly, this was the son of God. Imagine this picture. Imagine the scene. At the moment Jesus died, these men saw incredible things. And so they put two and two together that maybe everything we heard about this guy actually was true. And so we, we see a statement of faith. And I'm looking forward to meeting these men in paradise. I think they'll be there uh, from the sounds of this text, at least. We we get to look forward to that. As we look into the burial of Jesus, maybe ask your children, who else helped bury Jesus? That's a tricky question. John chapter 19 reveals to us Nicodemus was also there. Both Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus are part of the Pharisees. So there's a split in that group. The women are mentioned a couple of times as they were at the cross and they were following at a distance to the tomb as well. Um, Not much to say there other than they're going to be the first ones going out to the tomb on Easter morning as well. We'll talk about that one tomorrow. So the, the final section of this text, they know the chief priests acknowledge Matthew 12, 40, where Jesus made this prediction of his resurrection and they don't want this disciple group to to be able to claim that it's true so they want a guard stationed at the tomb to prevent that from happening to prevent the body from being stolen and yet the body ends up disappearing anyway this is a a less harsh movie is the movie risen neat film it's entirely in a way unbiblical in the idea that it takes an event that we don't know much about and it tries to cover it 
Um, so it's it's the idea of following a Roman soldier tasked with the, the job of finding the body of Jesus. What happened to him? Where did he go? Uh, it's it's a neat picture, and it, it's a neat movie, and it gets you thinking. Uh, you might want to pre-screen it, too. It's PG-13, but um, it's a lot more tame than the Passion of the Christ film that I mentioned earlier. It's it's also worth a watch if if you get the chance. Those are two excellent films um, and, and good to watch at some point. So that's that's an overview, some highlights of the text today. The Lord's blessings be with you as we continue in Holy Week, Maundy Thursday today, uh, Mandatum Novum. Maundy is the, the mandatum, the new command that Jesus gives us that we would love one another. Um, it also refers to the Lord's Supper that was given to us on this day. Tomorrow we will do Matthew chapter 28, and we will be on Good Friday. The Lord's blessings be with you all.